you have found the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. Each week, we replay the sermon from our Sunday morning service so that anyone who may have missed the sermon can catch it later. This sermon was from March 20th, 2022. The opening scripture was read by Jerry Schrock, and the sermon text was Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Paul says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that you are going that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. So over the years as I have read books or listen to people, I've heard lots of advice about how to preach sermons, and if I could remember all of them, my sermons would be a whole lot better, but one thing that they often say is that you shouldn't talk too much about what the Greek or the Hebrew words are and what they mean and why, because that just puts people to sleep, and usually the purpose of church is not nap time, and I I mostly follow that because, I mean, I don't know either language, but I'm kind of kind of break that rule today for a little while, and if you want to take a nap, I guess I can't complain. Don't, don't snore. But, um, but see, I was reading this, the first verse. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. So that's the first part of our first verse for today. And it sounds like a great verse, but see, if you have a New American Standard or an NIV and you read yourself, it says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The NIV is almost exactly the same. And that struck me as a little different. The King James says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And, and on one level, the, the meaning is the same. You're supposed to live like Jesus wants you to live. But the New Living Translation talks about this idea of being citizens of heaven, and none of the rest of these do. But because I usually preach out of the New Living, because that's what's in the pews and I like it, I had been reading that one ahead of time just to sort of let these stir in my mind as I go about my day or as I go for a walk. And so I was thinking about it from the perspective of this citizenship and was going to develop from this uh, metaphor to talk about it. And then I read the other translations, and I was like, whoa, I can't go there. But, but actually, see, I read the Bible Knowledge Commentary a lot. Jerry does as well, I think, or at least he always brings it to our, our pastor's meetings. If you only are ever going to buy one commentary and read it, that's the one I would recommend from Dallas Theological Seminary. Short, compact, I mean, for a commentary. Um, and at least back when I bought it, reasonably affordable. But they say the words conduct yourself, it's based on the NIV, so they'll pull from there. The words conduct yourself translate as a political word. Literally, it means live as citizens. 
So I also have another commentary that says the same thing. I looked it up in Strong's Concordance, which is a resource that I have. It says to behave as a citizen, the word in question, then they have a number. So I got to thinking, you know what? I think maybe it's okay to run with this citizenship metaphor that I was developing in my mind that the NLT used because I think the NLT used it because Paul did. Now, exactly why the other ones didn't, that's, you'll have to ask them. But it seems to me that Paul was using a metaphor. Instead of just saying, well, live like Jesus wants you to live, he uses a word picture. He says, now as Christians, as followers of Jesus, you become citizens of a new kingdom. You have a new king. Jesus is your king. So, so now you need to live like citizens of that kingdom instead of citizens of the kingdoms of this world. And so this word picture really makes sense to me, and I think it's worth continuing to use the word picture that Paul talked about. So I might have wasted some of your time, but as I go through here, Paul seems to keep using this idea of citizenship, of, of related things, of being in a battle, and I wanted to say this is not my metaphor. This is not even the New Living Translation's metaphor, near as I can tell. This is Paul's metaphor, and I like it. So anyway, we're in this book of Philippians. Paul is writing to a church in the town of Philippi, and he first expresses his thankfulness to the people for the way that they have supported him, the way that they have helped him out, and he writes to say that he is still able to preach the gospel of Jesus, even though he's actually in jail and he is stuck there. But he also praises God that the people outside the jail in that community are also able to preach for Jesus, and he is pleased that that message of the good news of Jesus is going out, even though he is stuck in one place. He expresses hope that he's going to eventually be released from prison, but he also stresses that he's not afraid of death. He knows that when he dies, he is going to see and be with Jesus, and there is nothing better than that. But if he does live, he wants to see this church again, this church that he had planted some time before, and he wants to encourage them and bless him. And that's kind of chapter one up to this point. And then Paul writes, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. So one of the things I learned in reading was that Philippi was apparently a Roman colony. It had a special status in the Roman Empire. One one person said, even though it wasn't near Rome, it was legally as if it was a piece of Rome far away. So I don't know how good your geography is. That's the Mediterranean Sea with Rome and the approximate location of Philippi March. So they weren't close to each other at all, but the people, at least some of the people in Philippi, were citizens of that faraway place, and the way they lived, the way they thought, the way they were uh, had rights and privileges and then expectations and obligations was all based on their citizenship of this place far away. So Paul is using a really cool metaphor when he says, above all, you must live as citizens 
of heaven. So he's saying in that way that you are familiar by being citizens of that faraway Rome, well, now that you are followers of Jesus, you are citizens of a different faraway kingdom, and this new kingdom that you're part of, that now has to define the way you live and the way you think, what rights and obligations you feel in your heart and in your mind. So he says, live in the way that Jesus wants you to live as citizens of his kingdom. He is your king. And then when I find you again, I hope you will be standing side by side fighting for your king, Jesus. So again, it seems since he starts with this citizenship metaphor, he continues it with this idea of battles and wars and sacrifice. He goes on, he says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. So I'm just picturing sort of a a general up there before a battle giving a pep talk to his soldiers, saying much the same kind of thing. You are citizens of our glorious kingdom. Live like it. Be bold. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Your boldness will show that they are ultimately going to lose. We're not afraid. Victory is assured. But then the general might go on and say, but in any battle there will be sacrifice, and yet it's a great honor to die for your country, to love and to defend your soil, even with your life. And so I thought, well, Paul kind of does that same thing. You know, he talks about don't be intimidated, and then he goes on and he says, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You've seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. So Paul doesn't pretend that this This citizenship in a new kingdom is going to suddenly bring great ease and comfort any more than being citizen of Rome is necessarily going to be easy or comfortable all the time because there were expectations and obligations. But just as a general might call someone to remember that their citizenship results in these expectations of support and sacrifice for their kingdom, Paul says you are citizens of the kingdom of heaven and now you have the opportunity of being in a place like Jesus was, even if that means suffering like he did. So I don't know if, if this metaphor is grabbing you the way it did me or if it was worth trying to, to start with some odd arrangements to try to talk about it, but, but I, I was trying to think, what does this actually mean for us? I thought, you know, if I was a really a really exciting speaker, very dynamic, and able to walk around and, and look really cool. Maybe I could get you all wound up. I have I've never watched the movie Braveheart. I have no desire to, but my understanding is that, that there's a certain part in there where lots of audience members in the movie theaters were leaping up and cheering, and they were excited. They were ready to go out, and they were ready to do battle, but, I mean, it was just a movie. But anyway... If I could do that, I could maybe have you all excited and you'd leap up and the ushers would say, go to the front, go to the front, or maybe they'd start passing the offering plate. But um, at some point, you'd have to ask the question, okay, I'm really enthusiastic about this new king, about being a part of a new kingdom, having new citizenship. What does this mean? And when we start to ask that question, it's at least good to read some of the words of our king. For you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. 
And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we serve a completely different kind of king and a different kind of battle and a different kind of nation or different kinds of enemies. And the true leaders are not the ones who stand up in front or have their names on the sign or in the bulletins. I'm guessing if you find the ones who serve others, the ones that you might hardly ever notice, those are maybe the equivalent of the generals in the kingdom. And the king himself, the one who is lord of it all, well, he's the one actually died so that no one else would have to. And then he, then he rose again, but, but he rose again so that all of the rest of us can die as well and yet know that we will live. In some ways, that's going on to... Chapter 2, and Joel will get there. But coming back, back to this own test, this text for today, Paul writes to say that we are citizens of a new kingdom. And so what does this mean for us? I think I want to focus on Paul's words in verse 27. At least that's what was grabbing hold of my mind as I was thinking about application in a way to just sort of flesh this out a little bit. He says, live as citizens of heaven. Then he says that if these people do that, they're going to, he is going to be able to know that they will be standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. So I was thinking about how would I summarize Paul's words in a way that maybe helps me understand. Citizens of Jesus' kingdom will be united in relationships, in goals, and in tasks. And I thought, you know, he seems to be using some imagery from an army. You could see how they would have to be united in this way. But I thought maybe, maybe, maybe more befitting a Mennonite church. Think about it as a sports team, the importance of unity and relationship, goal, and task. If you're a football team and you don't get along with each other and you have ambitions against one another and you're in conflict in your relationships, your team is going to suffer. It's not going to be as well executed as it could be. But you can also see the importance of having united goals and tasks. If half the team goes out there expecting to be a surprise Hail Mary and the other half of the team goes out there expecting a field goal attempt, it's going to be a disaster. You have to have a certain level of unity and what you're trying to do and then how you're trying to execute this. And I think that's part of what Paul is saying, that if we are citizens of Jesus' kingdom accomplishing his tasks, there's going to have to be a certain kind of unity here for this to work. So how does a congregation pursue this kind of unity? And you could, you could preach whole sermons on all of these and probably could get better people to speak on any given one of them. But one of the things that was on my mind is that if you want to build relationships, it takes, it takes time. You have to spend time together. So I am really grateful for the fellowship meals that we have here at Tressler. Uh, the first Sunday of every month, the chance to sit down and talk with people. I'm also really excited when I see you guys standing around talking after church, or I see somebody running to catch somebody before they leave and to talk with them because they want to connect and follow up on some ideas. This this is really good. It takes time to develop relationships, and you just have to be together. That's at least part of it. But I got to thinking, you know, I'd also encourage 
you to invite each other into your homes more often. It doesn't seem to be something that happens quite as often as it did when Emily and I first came to Tressler in August of 2004 when we first visited and we started attending regularly sometime after that. But we were in a lot of people's homes within the first year or so, and I got to thinking, I wonder why it's changed. I wonder what is different. But in Acts 2, we see that the Christians at this very, very new church, they met together regularly, yes, but then it says they also met together in their homes to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I think there's something really special about building relationships when you sit around somebody's table or in front of their fireplace in their own personal space. So... Think about it, at least. Let, let God speak to you. But if, if there's somebody in here and you realize you've never been in their home or they've never been in yours, maybe, maybe it's time to extend an invitation. Or if it hasn't been recently, then, then extend an invitation. So we're citizens of a new kingdom with a new king. And Paul writes that he expects us to have unity in relationships, goals, and tasks. I talked a little bit about relationships. I wondered how a congregation... How does a congregation develop some sense of their own goals and tasks? Because on one level, our king defines our goals in a, in a generic sense, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel, to love your neighbor as yourself, these kind of things. But, but any given congregation is going to have a sort of a specific part of this. We're made of different people with different abilities, different situations. So what is our own here at Tressler or for any given congregation, what is their own? And I, I thought, well, to a certain extent, you're going to just have to prayfully, prayerfully walk uh, together as you think about it and pray about it. And, and Paul talks about fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. There is going to be this collaboration. And then it came into my mind that one example to get us thinking of what this might look like is the way that Tressler has served and ministered to children and young people during the years that I have been a part of Tressler. So to me, this has seemed like one of our shared goals. I don't know that we have talked about it in quite this kind of language, but it might be a picture for us to think about and see how, how I think this works. We have a relatively small congregation compared to some, but we've got a pretty vibrant Wednesday night and youth ministry stuff going on from second grade up, and then Sunday school, and we got Bible school in the summers, and it takes a lot of people, a lot of different ages and backgrounds all working together. No one person could possibly ever accomplish all of this. And so we begin to get a picture of when we have shared goals and shared tasks of how to pursue those goals that we can do what no one person could ever do. So we, we have to arrive at this place in, in, in accordance with what our king is calling us to do, but then we can work together to do what no one person could possibly do. So we've, we've got other things going on, but that, that came into my mind as an illustration for you to think about it, but it also is a good example because because it can remind us that there are times when we have to stop and think and pray and, and be together. This is why the relationship aspect is so important, because there are times when things are going to have to adjust or we we'll have to think about how to do things better as situations change. And I got you know, thinking, you know, when I look around our church on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, it's full of life and vibrancy. 
But then when I sit down, I had to do this for an assignment recently, and sort of break the demographics up, I thought, there's not likely to be many babies born in the near future. So how's that going to change things? So we're going to have to think about it. We're going to have to pray about this. We have a beautiful opportunity to serve, but, but will our king be saying, you know, I want you to focus on something a little different or adjusting a little bit of a way? What, what is our king going to want us to do? So we can't just keep doing the same thing exactly the same all the time. So, so Paul is calling congregations to have shared relationships, shared goals, shared tasks, now that they are part of a new kingdom and citizens of that kingdom, serving a new king. And part of this is going to be honest, prayerful conversations about what the king wants this congregation to do. And then there's going to, once in a while, need to be some changes and adjustments, but they're going to have to be ones that people are united around, or it's not going to work very well. So sort of summarizing that passage, but saying it slightly different. We are called to live as citizens of heaven, following our new king. We are to live together in a way that reveals the good news of Jesus to the people around us. We need to build good relationships with each other so that we are united with one another. Then we need to pray and talk and perhaps even fast together as we continually discern God's will together so that we can do his will with shared purposes, shared tasks, as we tell other people about Jesus' love for them. You have been listening to the Tressler Mennonite Sermon from March 20th, 2022. The passage was from Philippians, chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Take care.